Today's episode of the show is brought to you by our friends at Bandzoogle. Bandzoogle is built by musicians for musicians. It's an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. Uh, I would know I'm working on a, uh, a site over at Bandzoogle as well right now, and it's really easy to make, and you can get everything uh, up and running pretty quickly from hosting a custom domain name. Uh, you got dozens of fully customizable design templates and tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, which we love to hear as musicians. Uh, there's commission-free crowdfunding, fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your audience, social media integration, and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. So if you want to support the show and if you want to help yourself while you're at it, direct support podcast listeners can go to bandzoogle.com. You can try it free for 30 days and use the promo code direct support, all one word, to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. That's bandzoogle.com, promo code direct support. Bandzoogle. What's up, y'all? My name is Peter. Welcome to Direct Support the podcast where I talk to other musicians. Um, so here's what's up. My life has been hectic lately. I'm moving. I was in a fight for this apartment and I got it and now I'm moving into it. And it's just been kind of chaotic, not to mention like, you know, work and music and everything. And, and, uh, and I was trying to actively be on a hiatus, you know, I was trying to not do anything. And of course this new foxing record comes out and I really loved it. And I have this interview that I did with Connor from Foxing um, about a month ago. And this interview really changed my perspective on a lot of things. And it was very informative and fun. And I had a great time. And I just think that I had, I had to get it out to y'all. And y'all need to hear it. So uh, please enjoy my conversation with Connor Murphy from Foxing. And listen to the new record, Draw Down the Moon. It's a great album. And we're going to listen to the titular song off the record in just a moment. Uh, just a couple things, a little housekeeping. Uh, if you'd like to talk to me, uh, go to Direct Support Pod on Instagram. You can send me a message there. You can follow us to stay up to date with who our guests are. Um, and more importantly, if you like the show, you can do one of two things. You can go to Apple Podcasts, if that's where you're listening. Leave us a five-star rating and review. It'll take you five seconds, and it just does so much to help the show. Um, and if you don't want to do that, that's totally cool. Just do me a favor. Share this episode with your friend who likes foxing. You know that person that you work with and you guys bond because you like both like the same bands? Send them this show. That'd mean a lot. All right, y'all. No further ado. Let's hit it. Draw Down the Moon by Foxing. Enjoy. I'm never going to stop loving you.
I'm recording. Beautiful. I did a I did a uh, <laughs> a podcast with our friend Jeremy, um, and I <laughs> was recording for like an hour, <laughs> and uh, and then my uh, I use Logic, but I use a cracked version um, that's just falling apart. Yeah, and it crashed, and it, I had no backup of it. Uh, because I didn't save it beforehand, of course. it was a nightmare. Yeah, and that, and then I listened to it. and I was like, "Wow, I, I really f- fucked them over with audio." But hey, what are you gonna it's, do? It's part of the game. Most people don't even offer when they do. I'm like, "Great, thank you. Go for it." Um, <laughs> I saw that you did that, and I, I wonder if this makes me a good interviewer or bad. I was nervous, so I didn't listen to it because I didn't want to just have the same conversation with you. That makes you bad because now you're gonna ask the same questions. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. No, I'm I'm joking. I <laughs> honestly, <clears throat> I feel like um, I feel like I'm answering the same questions over and over again. This is like every album cycle we mm-hmm. do the same thing. But the fact of the matter is, like, how many questions can you really ask about an album? Is yeah. my thing when I like I get exhausted sometimes yeah. with the same thing over and yeah. over again. But then you get to a point where you're just like, "What? We didn't do something that is worthy of like, you know, infinite different questions." Right? It, it's, it's, just, it's a fucking album. You're going, "Who's this really on?" Because at the end of the day, we just <laughs> yeah, want people exactly. to listen to our songs. <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah. Okay, I understand. Well, I I was just gonna ask that. I mean, wh- how do you feel about this part of the record? Because it's like, it's not like the process. It's not the writing section, and I get really like. Uh, I don't know, queasy almost when I'm like too long away from writing and just focusing on promo and stuff. I'm getting antsy because right now, so, you know, we had very long amount of like kind of pre-production, the actual album, like writing and recording. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, all of the art video stuff which is ongoing and then as as on top of that like the marketing side of everything i've taken on like kind of a a really hands-on approach this time around more so than i i have before of just trying to get involved in you know trying to do something creative we're doing like you know a website thing a lot of like cryptic rollout uh we also we're doing it over like a very long span yeah uh, it's like a six month album rollout, um, where we release like half of the record. Yep. And with all of that being said, and some of that might be like, you know, really, uh, a dumb idea to do it that hey, way. But at the same time, we're doing the same thing as you, by the way, it's very similar. So I, I actually like, uh, I'm relating to this quite a bit. I'll tell you about that after, but you continue. <laughs> well, I, I mean, my, my thing with it is really just that like the, uh, I think at this point right now, all of that is for the most part taken care of. Mm. There's still things that we, there's still things to do. Um, <clears throat> but like, for instance, I just finished the last music video, like editing the last one, which will come out in the 15th. I mean, pro- the, by the time that, you know, this podcast is released, this will have already been old news, but <laughs> like, you know, the, Having finished that, it was like the day after. It was so stressful. And then the day after, I was like, now what do I do? Yeah. Um, so the answer to that, though, is now what we do is 
interviews and talk about the record a lot and then eventually get to tour. But I think this little ch- this middle chunk is I recognize as extremely important yeah. because it's not only the time where you're able to talk about the record with people and actually tell people like this is what we intended, but it's also very important to learn about it ourselves yeah. by talking about yeah, it. Yeah. That's something really important. But I would be lying if I said like I loved this part of it. It's really like this is this is the section, the waiting for the thing to come out is the most um, kind of unbearable time to me. <laughs> yeah. Not because I hate talking to people or anything. I, I enjoy talking to people, especially when it as it relates to myself. I love you know talking about myself. Uh, <laughs> why do you think I started I love, the podcast? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I crave attention so much, but like. Uh, it's unbearable because it's the furthest away from like music in my opinion, you know, like when you're talking about music so much, it really starts to feel like I'm not a musician at this point. I'm just like, you know, it almost feels like I'm a critic of my own thing or like a, a a marketing person for my own thing. Mm -hmm. And it feels kind of disingenuous. I would rather just like play the song or, you know, release the song and not, talk about it i guess this is so the conversation of i think what it feels like in 2021 (laughs) to make music especially like after everything we learned from last year yeah and then and then i think your acknowledgement of like it's wildly important and and a pain in the ass but like somebody has to do it like i look at these like i go like all right i'm looking at our email list i'm dreading it what do i actually do with it you know what i mean but Mm -hmm. (laughs) but but there it is and i know that that's like one of the most important things that i have right yeah and and like yeah, so I think I think you're totally right, and you don't get to like be on the ro- and it's like fun to do uh, an interview if you're on the road, right? Like when somebody like is like, let's hop in the van while you guys doing this thing in sound check. Yeah, but when that's cool. But when it's like the focal point. Well, and, and it's something. It's something I really feel for with artists that release stuff. Um, you know, early in 2020 or something, sure. where it's like you literally don't get to have. You don't play your song. You're playing it on live streams, but we all know how those live streams actually feel. Felt, you know, like <laughs> what's that? How they felt or felt? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean, know they're still happening. Know. I'm just joking about. I'm, I'm joking about March and April. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that. But that's what I'm saying yeah. is like those. Those were so bad. Yeah, this uh, sucks so bad. <laughs> and I'm also like, I'm really, I'm really pessimistic and skeptical that. I feel like we've been conditioned to kind of keep hope at arm's reach and or at arm's length. Um, and so I'm kind of like, we're never going to actually tour. This is like, we're in, we're in limbo, you know, and like, we're never actually going to get back to a stage. Um, I hope I'm so wrong, Yeah. but it does feel like that purgatory of like, and this is coming from somebody with dates like on the, on the books, in the books. Yeah, you know? totally. Yeah. No, no. I mean, like, our next show is August 14th. That's really close. Um, But, yeah, it's uh, exactly a month and a day from now. And, like, uh, I don't believe it's going to (laughs) happen. You know, we're we're in every way preparing for it. But it does feel like some kind of, you know, some kind of purgatory where you're, like, preparing for something that's never going to happen. And I guess my point with all of that is uh, this – this in-between chunk that we were talking about between making the thing and releasing the thing and actually performing it. Um, this middle chunk has never felt like this for me, at least. Um, 
because it also doesn't feel like I can step away and go on vacation or something. No. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And I feel like I, that's why I feel so much for anybody that released anything, uh, especially last year, where it's like there's never a moment to step away from it, you know, because you've never actually marketed it to its full potential. Or it, market it is the wrong word. You've never uh, performed it yeah. or shown it to its full potential because you couldn't play it in front of people. I won't blame you for gross words on this show either because we have to talk about things <laughs> like marketing and brand, which like gross out anybody who's creative. But there must have been a moment where you decided to be more hands-on with this record. Like it's, it's, we've definitely had, you know, the EP that I believed the most in that I thought was the coolest shit we ever made kind of flopped in, you know, in relation to our other yeah. stuff. And you go like, why is this the case? Like maybe it's cause you didn't tell your story enough cause people need that story spoon fed, you know? I think, so there's, there's a couple answers mm-hmm. to that. Um, I think the first is when we were first starting out and putting out our first, uh, you know, our first album especially, uh, we got so much feedback from fans, but more so, more detrimentally so, from, like, um, management and, like, industry people that kind of told us, like, we were going to be some arena band. Oh, wow. And, like, we're going to be, you know, an enormous band one day. And I think we, like, bought into that a little bit. I don't think we ever let it really, like, compromise what we were writing, but I think we just thought, well, we just wrote something that we like believed in and we're proud of. And if that is what you think is going to be like, you know, arena level one day, then like it didn't change anything but our expectations and our hopes. Which also affects your actionability. If you think yeah, something's just going to like, you know, explode, you're like, okay, well then let this wave happen. Exactly. And, and I think that because of that expectation um, everything felt like a failure, you know, uh, no matter what great thing would happen, we would just be like, yeah, but it's not, you know, yeah. some platinum record, <laughs> you know, getting inducted in the hall of fame or something, you know, like yeah. it's <clears throat> like the most harmful when you're, thoughts when you you're have told of comparison. Well, I think it's like, you know, when a child is told that they're going to be president one day <laughs> or something yeah. <clears throat> and then like, you know. You're the governor, and you're like, what a failure. <laughs> uh, and I just, uh, I just, I, I think that that was really detrimental for us. Yeah. And um, it also, I feel like, put us in a place where, like, our last record, Near My God, was, I mean, that was the proudest I had ever been of a record. And it didn't flop by any means. It was, you know, by far our most successful and, album. And certainly the and one that I connected with the most that really, like, I really fell in love with that record. It's great. Well, I think it was the best up until, you know, the, the newest one. Awesome. I, I really believe that Near My God was uh, far better than Albatross or Dealer. Um, and I was so proud of it. And uh, I think that we were so proud of it and we thought, truly like it speaks for itself you know and it doesn't need any kind of like uh, i remember when we talked about like um you know uh like marketing ideas or like what do you guys want to do and we're like i don't give a fuck like what do you want to do yeah because it's like to play the fucking album it's great um and that again it's like it, it it was the most successful one but it also like uh i think wasn't given a fair shake yeah. in terms of, you know, how, how much it was marketed or, or whatever, however you want to look at that. Um, and kind of looking back at the, the wreckage of it, 
um, I kind of really decided for myself, like, I think the issue with that record is that the story wasn't communicated properly. I think for some people look like getting like deep into it, they really picked up on like the story of the thing, the concept, the, the themes and kind of put together their own version of like what they think it is. But we never really like presented it properly, in my opinion. I, so for yeah. this one, well, just so for th- this one, I, I that was the thing I really wanted to do is not just be very clear about what this album is, what it means, what's the core of it. Uh, like, you know, simple, like take this enormous thing this big concept and very like scatterbrained aesthetic, but then simplify it all down to one thing that I can like easily explain. Uh, and especially being able to go to our press person or, uh, you know, whoever is, you know, running ads or anything and be able to say like, this is the idea of the whole thing boiled down to like just a couple sentences. Um, because one thing I, I, I like to, the way I like to put it is um, imagining yourself as a fan of your band and trying to uh, convince a friend that's never heard that band to listen to the new record. Yeah. You know, like I think people's first reactions, because I've, I've asked that question to, to people, you know, to, to smaller artists that, um, that I'll like be working with or something. Uh, and I think people tend to immediately jump to like for fans of, you know, like mm-hmm. it sounds like, you know, whatever. But my my point with it is really like instead of going that direction, how do you tell the story of the thing? I think the best example yeah. I've ever come across is uh, if you're familiar with Andy Schaff. Um, yeah. Oh, the party. The yeah. party. Exactly. So it, yeah. literally anybody I've ever talked to about the party, I've gone – yeah, this incredible record. Uh, it's this guy. He's got this amazing voice, and he's just such a great lyricist. He wrote this album that's a case study of a bunch of people at a party. Like you're at this party, looking around and seeing all these, you know, people, and yeah. he's telling their stories in each song. And everybody I've ever told that to is like, "Well, I got to listen to that. That sounds awesome." Yeah. You know, because you can communicate it in such a simple way. And then when you actually listen to it, it expands into something greater than just that tiny, you know, sentence. So that's what we tried to do with this album, even though it's not like a story, a concept. It's like, uh, you know, something that we could boil down into like just a a small idea. Well, you're making me question the entire premise of a concept album because in a sense anything that's an album should have a concept to it even if that's recurring themes or whatever i completely agree well because i i just put this to a a friend that i'm working with because you know she's working on a record and i was um i was talking to her about this exact idea and she was like well what i'm working on isn't really a concept record and then the more we talked about it uh the more we got to a place where it's like no, this is all related to one thing. She was she's talking about like her home. She went through a breakup, so she's writing songs about uh, going through a breakup. She's writing sure. songs about like uh, like hiking and missing home, and then she's writing about uh, she's writing all these things, but they all center around her home. She has this beautiful mm-hmm. home with this amazing garden, and she's like, "That's like just my little like Eden." 
And mm. I was like, well, that's your concept is that it's like all that, of these songs yeah. are related to this piece of paradise that you have. And it's like, I think you can tell that I can, you can tell so many different stories in the context of one thing. You don't even have to change the lyrics to yeah. your music. It's simply just the idea of like, imagine as a listener, it's like, imagine yourself, you know, in this beautiful home that you've created and you're telling stories as they relate to this place, maybe even from that place. Um, yeah. I constantly want to like have that conversation with people because I know that like you probably helped her with a breakthrough because you're just outside of it. And people have this like precious uh, connection to whatever they write. They, you know what I mean? Like we see that in any case, whether it's like ego of like not wanting to cut a bridge or a song from an album, right? What you're talking about, I, I you know, I've been really focusing on it. It's like, how can we distill this whole idea down to a sentence or two? But I, but it is sad to give up the idea that your fans were interpreting their own version of Near My God, well, you know, because you do have to sacrifice I that. don't think you do though. I think that... Okay. I th- I, I, I think that when you give, like, there's a difference. So, like, if you were, like, if you're talking about, for instance, like, um, I'm trying to think of a good example of, like, a straight-up narrative story album that is, like, really straight-up. Obvious. Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of, like, prog stuff that does this. I was going to say The Deer Hunter is, like, the most obvious sure, one. Sure, yeah. I think or, like, there's a, yeah. uh, uh, a Mastodon album. Um, mm-hmm. What is that one called? Whatever. Uh, you know, when you make an album that is straight up, like, this is telling an exact story from start to finish. Uh, yeah. That is obviously, like, a concept record. But also, uh, I think that, you don't have to do that, nor do you have to just go like, I don't know, it's a collection of songs. It's just a bunch of songs I wrote. I think that right. you can find a middle ground and still allow people to totally expand. Like think about Andy Shaw, for instance. That yeah. idea seems in some way kind of like confined. But at the same yeah. time, he's telling these stories that range so far apart from each other. The song To You yeah. on that album is like this song about like questioning sexuality as it relates to like a platonic friendship. You know, the magician is this song about like, uh, I don't even, I don't know how you would describe that song. (laughs) Like, uh, like some awkward (laughs) feeling like this dude who brings it. Yeah. yeah, This very brings a deck to the party. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or, or, uh, uh, first to the party is like all of these things are in some way related to a party, but they expand on like, the human experience in a way where you can go into it and really like interpret it yourself. Um, yeah. And in the same way, it's like with near my God, I think that I think that if I was able to really be able to explain the core concept, which I know now, you know, like the core concept is this idea (laughs) that like near my God to thee is this echoing dirge throughout history that, uh, always signifies the end of something or death in some way, some apocalyptic thing. And we were trying to make 2018 our album be another echo through, you know, in time, this kind of time capsule that mm-hmm. captures this idea of desperation and anger and depression in a time where like it really does feel like the world is ending again, the same way it felt on the Titanic or the same way it felt when you see the CNN doomsday tape from the eighties. Like, you know, it's this one thing that just keeps just 
echoing over and over again. And like that, it is meant to be an echo in the modern day. And I think that's really the concept of the whole thing. That being said, I think that concept allows you to really expand on each song individually and go like, how, like that's, that's the core. Now, how do you expand as a listener for it? Um, it's, You're very good at distilling this. I can see why they chose you for the for the TED talk because it's. I really think that was a good pitch. Now, <laughs> retroactively or retrospectively. Well, I spent a lot of time failing at things to uh, to really right. like learn about them. Uh, the you know the idea for Draw Down the Moon is that there's so much to it. There's all these aesthetic choices that we've made, and so many like you know whatever. Uh, I was going to pay you that compliment because the Instagram is so clean and so clearly like one vision. So well, thank you. it's working on me. <laughs> but I, the idea, the core concept of just like the actual music, the album itself, yeah. is this idea that um, when you look up into the stars and you go, wow, I'm so small, I'm so insignificant in the universe. Um, it's the idea that you're taking that moment and looking and the world is kind of burning around you and you're looking up and saying, I'm so insignificant as I relate to the universe. But at the same time, uh, my connection to everything down here and to all the people around me is what makes me significant. I, in fact, I am not significant is the connection that I have to these things that is significant. And once you start expanding on this, the connections you actually end up making up the entire universe. So that's the core idea is taking on significance as it relates to the universe. Um, and making the argument that like you can find significance outside of yourself. And that's, that's the concept. (laughs) And then each song is meant to be a theme describing each, like, uh, uh, you know, things in, in my life or in, in the life yeah. of, you know, a human to, uh, to expand on their significance, you know, like aging, how, how does my connection to age relate? And like the idea that, you know, if we're this small speck, there's all these other small specks that are aging at the exact same rate. Uh, and so like, doesn't it, mean something that like we're all like you know growing old together uh just at the exact same rate um and then there's you know a song about sexuality a song about death about success and like all of these different and about uh, quite a few songs about like love as they relate to different things and well yeah I'm, i'm cheesing because uh i'm cheesing because that whole premise allows for songs to live dynamically in a lot of different ways so like you can have a giant song we're talking about the universe here all the people that's the universe and you can have a very intimate very specific thing about one person um i've always felt like the more specific as i've been writing and learning from other writers around me like the more specific i can be mm. the more we all connect to it and i think that that you know in a sense like you know you you guys are tapping into that as well well I, with that with that whole narrative you know they, i would never have thought to like actually take on kind of that that sort of concept but the credit that I, I have to give is to uh, Joe Para, the comedian. Mm. He made oh yeah he made a, uh, a, a an animated special called Joe Para talks you to sleep, um, Ooh. which is really really good. I think that's I'll the name of it. Um, but at one point, and I'm paraphrasing here, but like at one point he's talking about Stephen Hawking 
and he says, um, mm-hmm. he's talking about Stephen Hawking cheating on his wife. And he says, you have to think of that, uh, about it from Stephen Hawking's perspective. He spends all day looking up into the universe and thinking about how insignificant he is. So what does it matter if one man cheats on his wife in the grand scheme of everything? All he does is ponder the vastness of reality. <laughs> right. And then he says, but thinking about that, going down that same line of thought, if the universe is so vast and you're so insignificant and you found somebody that loves you, that you love and that trusts you and that you trust, uh, why would you ever want to hurt them? You found somebody in this huge vastness. Why would you ever want to, you know, hurt them in any way? And I think the second I heard that, I called Eric and I was like, hey, <laughs> this is like, this is what I, I want to write about on this record. And I think that's that's really what set it up because it's really that idea of true cosmic insignificance <laughs> yeah. that is so much to take on, you know, like yeah. it's and I would never want to write about like, you know, theory of relativity or anything like that. It's like <laughs> way above my pay grade. But like uh, taking on the idea of that second part of you know, it's both parts, but it's mostly relating to that second part of what Joe Perez says. Sure. The idea of like, you know, find like finding those connections in the people that you love and the ideas that you relate to and the things that you fear, you know, like actually thinking about those as they relate to the vastness of everything. Right. It's focusing on the connection, not the insignificance. Exactly. Um, That's great. But with the in, with the insignificance as kind of a backdrop for it all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think from there, it's like the aesthetic stuff falls into place of like, you know, uh, truly like communion with the universe by way of the moon. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, these neo-pagan and and Wiccan traditions and rituals. Um, I love that giant key. That was (laughs) Thank you. It's good visually and it's good conceptually too. So I like that. Well, I think those things, uh, along with like, you know, I have a, a deep love for Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and I was going to, I was going to ask you about, about the website or the video game or the board. What are you guys doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, there's a bunch of different stuff going on. They're all meant to relate to this one central kind of idea, you know, the one that we've been discussing here, but like, yeah. Yeah. They so the rituals, for instance, are both meant to be a way for people to interact with an album in a way that is hopefully unique, uh, in a way that is an experience more so than just like kind of going like, we have a new music video out and like you know retweet for a chance to get a copy or something, like. I hate that shit. I'm really bored with the way music is released nowadays. Dude, I've been... So my drummer's on the other side of this wall, and we've been having that conversation constantly because we, we just announced our first single off this whole thing. We're doing the same thing. We're rolling out our album over like the course of a year, like literally dropping every song as a single, and we're putting little music videos with them called episodes. They're just minute-long videos, and we're like, we're calling it like a TV network. Yeah. So we're calling it... Right? And so that's... And he was like... You know, we were talking about it, and he was like, all right, I'm going to post a single. I'm like, we have to talk about the TV show because like how many fucking people just go like, follow us. Exactly. Like... We, I, what? That, the thing is, I don't <laughs> want to knock anybody for releasing music in a traditional way or like in a... But maybe you're just tired of it. You know? I am tired of <laughs> yeah. taking in music. And in fact, like I've seen people mm. knock our rollout like online, which is fine. It's like, it, of course, people are going to hate 
whatever yeah. you do. It doesn't matter. Anything. Yeah. But that being said, it's like, uh, I am, I'm, I'm just so bored with how safe people play it in terms of like, you know, here's our song, uh, pre-save it. Here's the pre-save link, you know, like, um, you know, the, I don't know. What's your favorite song on the album? You know, kind of like comment bait stuff. It's like, it's so algorithmic yeah. and gross. And yeah. I think, uh, <laughs> I think with this record more than any other one, we really went out of our way and said like, Hey, we're not trying to play the algorithm game. We want to just create something that if somebody wants to interact with it, they're going to have a good time and they're going to like, you know, do something that is unique. And yeah. so anyway, the ritual stuff is all meant to be, um, I'm borrowing a term that wasn't used early on, but, uh, somebody actually on our Patreon, um, brought it up and now I'm using it. Uh, it's uh, a hyper sigil, um, which Grant Morrison, uh, the, the, the comic, yeah, writer. the comic writer yeah. did, uh, he, he coined the term for when he wrote the invisibles. Um, and it's the idea of an entire, uh, an entire process for something that is over time being distilled, like the whole thing being a ritual itself. So the idea, and we talked about this without the actual word hyper sigil, but we talked about the idea, uh, Eric and I did, um, especially whatever, <laughs> Eric and I talked about this idea that the album itself is this kind of like ritual that it's about uh -huh. rituals and there's, you know, all these rituals and magic references and, uh, you know, neo-pagan and occult ideas, but the entire recording process and rollout and everything is one, you know, giant ritual. Um, yeah. Which now I can say the word hyper sigil as a reference to, and within I'm it, sure they'll appreciate getting <laughs> getting getting a shout out in, in that way. <laughs> Don't worry. Well, the uh, the idea of the actual website stuff, though, is you know there are actual sigils used in the website, and the website is inspired by a lot of uh, kind of primitive gaming uh, video games, like online cool. things, Zork, you know, text adventure. Um, mist, mm -hmm. you know, like all, all of these old early low pixel stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, weaving that into this whole idea of like the very first thought I had for this website stuff, uh, when our, our manager and I were talking about it, where was that I wanted it to be, there used to be these, uh, digital grimoires, uh, that came around like on, they were like floppy disks. That were okay. meant to be, you know, a grimoire is your spell book. Uh, okay. That, like, if if you practice witchcraft, it's like you know you record your spells in your grimoire. And they're like a right. really important thing for for uh, people that practice magic. Um, and a digital grimoire was this really like in the of the time like pretty dumb idea that it's like <laughs> no, it's cool because it's on a computer, but it's like. All it is is like a floppy disk that you're like writing on. Uh, you're like writing and a word document. Point, like it's sacred and you're writing it. And it's and it's your own thing that you tuck in. Now that we put it on the computer, it's like anybody could get your grimoire. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> and the idea that we were trying to establish early on was this idea that what if you came across somebody's digital grimoire, this personal yeah. thing for that 
that person who is writing all of these, like all of this code and all of these puzzles, the way that, you know, you make little puzzles when you're, uh, when you're like a kid or like, at least I did. Mm. Uh, and so it's this thing where every individual person interacting with this website is meant to feel like they're in on something they're not supposed to be. Um, Right. Like they're and with that being said, they're also gaining access to our songs in advance. Um, Great and like in learning information about our record, the thing that they were You're like back to the algorithmic yeah. part. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not even the, the thing is it's like so anti-algorithmic. It's like it's yeah, not yeah. working well as it relates to the algorithm, <laughs> which we knew. But it's like we wanted to blow our money on this idea rather than like buying yeah. you know ad space and stuff. A bunch of PR. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I do. I really like that though because what you are blowing your money on is is the sense that people can be behind the curtain, that they can be like in the green room with you, especially at this time when we have not been able to connect at all. So what can you do to make people fully bought in? And it's really let them in. Well, and I think like that, I think we've also uh, gone out of our way to really try to abandon the idea that, you know, that thing I was talking about before about like, you know, arena band or like, we're really going to make it. Uh, We're really trying to like (laughs) pitch that, and not think about it at all and more focus on the idea of like the people that enjoy our music and the people that potentially will enjoy our music. Uh, how can we treat them with the utmost respect with some kind of unique way of releasing our music in a way that records that I really connected with. I remember when in rainbows came out, um, by Radiohead, it was like, sure a really important record in the way that it was released. You know, it was the, the first, yeah. one of the first like pay what you want records. There was also like yep. spectrographs and like all of these really like the song nude was like on a spectrograph that you could like play with on the computer before the song was actually released. It was so right. cool. And so we wanted to like do those things. I remember they did the, um, they like dropped the stems of Reckoner before they dropped Reckoner, which is something that, uh, we did on this, and I I didn't really. <laughs> we did that for our song "Go Down Together." We were like, uh, did a re- oh, It was cool. like a remix contest, but it was remix like contest. Be- yeah, that we wanted to do before the song actually came out, so people could. I like- know now. Now so many of those things have happened, but it wouldn't have happened for like without the early aughts, like people who were like kind of breaking breaking the mold and then and then Beyonce does it and you're like cool now we get right. it right <laughs> and, and that being said it's like we're borrowing so much stuff and it's like to say yeah. that this is some like absolutely original never been done before thing is wrong it's truly more a matter of like we want it to be at least original in the context of like how things are released now because i feel like i mean this is a yeah. fucking hard time to be a musician and you know everything is horrible <laughs> but like uh, I'm singing to babies, dude. <laughs> it, well, perfect. That's like uh, I bet they really appreciate you more than than. It's uh, true. You know, twenty year olds. Uh, it's true. <laughs> I I really like. I I think that the the industry and uh, just people in general are so fucking spoiled at this point. You know, with like Spotify being able to ha- yeah. access everything for eight bucks a month or whatever, like. It's gross. It grosses me out so hard, and it's like we're we're all very underpaid, and you know, we're treated as if we should be so grateful for like the pennies that we get, um, and we should be contributing more. Yeah, of like, course. 
Like, why aren't you giving us more free shit? Yeah, exactly. And God. it's like, why why can't we see how everything is made? Uh, you know? Yeah. And you're like, yeah. there used to be something cool about, like, mystery. <laughs> I feel like now it's like, yeah, we, I, you know, there's this entitlement to be able to get everything, including, like, seeing how the sausage is made. And you're like... I have a flip coin to that, though, because I, I am bothered by the people who do nothing to create any lore around their release or their album or their music. And then they go like, well, what about Bon Iver? He still gets to be mysterious. And then I get to be, I can't be mysterious. It's like, well, that's a person who put a ton of lore and visual energy into the thing just because they're not showing, you know, themselves on TikTok doesn't, doesn't, you know what I mean? Those, those two things don't equate. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I was doing, um, lyric writing lessons, uh, for a while. Oh, cool. And I had somebody that was talking about, um, I don't know, they had these lyrics, and lyrics were great, uh, uh, but they were very confusing, and I was kind of trying to draw it out of them, like, what are you actually trying to say what you're trying to say? Sure. And then let's yeah. subvert it and make it poetic. And they were essentially like, I just really, you know, I like artists like Bon Iver that, like, you know, the the concepts for the songs are so... Uh, or, or the uh, lyrics themselves are so um, abstract that you're able to put your own meaning into it. And I, my my answer to it was essentially like, I I love that too, but also like you and I are not Justin Vernon, you know, like we're <laughs> uh, we are not awarded the same uh, benefits that he has. We don't get to be as abstract as he is. And also, what you're really missing is Justin Vernon. I would assume starts with the idea of something simple that he's wanting to say and then makes it poetic. You can't just start with poetic. And in the same way, I think that you can't start with, I want to be a, a, like very mystery. Like I don't, I don't have a Twitter or Instagram. It's like the artists that have that are usually ones that have been around for like 20 years or something that are just like, I don't need to do that. And I don't want yeah, to. I already built I already built my audience yeah. before this shit mattered. So I, I, <laughs> I can. Yeah. yeah. And I think like, yep. uh, you know, what I consider to be like middle class artists that I. I oh, I like that term. Well, use it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I that's how I, I refer to our band is I think that we're a very middle class band. We're not, um, you know, commercially successful, nor are we small to the point of like, uh like the way I really look at our band is like we're we're too big to have like other jobs <laughs> like we it takes too much time out of our life to yeah. really have another career on the side but not big enough uh to be comfortable uh financially yep. you know which I, I, I equate. So you have to just be broke in this band. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Unless you just give it up, which we're all too scared to do. Uh, <laughs> and that's, that's what I consider to be a middle-class band. You don't have enough time to carve out a new yeah. career. Music is not your hobby. It's your job. But also that job isn't yeah. paying well. Um, but anyway, it's like... Wh- <laughs> and there's nobody to ask for a no, raise. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> you can certainly... <laughs> Yeah, you can certainly try to ask for a raise, but uh, I don't think uh, well, can Mr. I, can I, CEO can of Spotify to, um, is going to give you that raise. Yeah. <laughs> can I take it back to just the D&D yeah. um, thing? Because I, I know it's a big part of your life. 
Are you a dungeon master? Are you a, a player? Because I, I never got into it, and I didn't realize till late in life that it was essentially improv, and I feel like I really would have enjoyed it, but it, it seems... I don't know. I, everybody's got their crews already. What? You know? Oh, <laughs> you put that right out of your mind. If you want to play, you can play. If, All right, I'm going to find some of them. Seriously, literally just hit up a game shop. They, you will be able... You can... Oh, really? Like, tonight, you could go and play. Okay. Um... <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons is so much bigger than you ever will expect. And it's everybody that plays the game, unless they're a total asshole, is so excited to show you how to play the game. And it's so much simpler than you're expecting. You think of it as this, like, you know, intimidating, like, nerdy thing where, like, pretentious people are like, you know, this is our secret game and you can't be a part of it. It's not, though. Right. It's like literally everybody that plays the game wants you to play it with them. Um, Great. And it's so much fun. I am a, I'm a dungeon master. I, I play, but uh, the only consistent person that dungeon mas- that is another dungeon master is my, my girlfriend. And um, she is, you know, very, very busy with her work. So, like, she doesn't have time to write campaigns and stuff. So I, I do that. Um, but anyway, it's like yeah, I just had my last session was two days ago, um, and it's the most it's the most fun thing in the world. If I ever quit music, I'll probably try to work at a game shop and just DM yeah. as a job or something. Um, That's awesome. But yeah, the improv aspect of what you're talking about is so much a part of the game. But it's also why I love the game so much is that. Um, you know, when I DM, I do voices. You know, I do, like, voices of goblins Sick. and ghouls mm-hmm. and whatever. Uh, you really get into the character. I do. Well, it's mostly because my when my mother would read stories to me as a kid, um, like, I, I was I was and am very bad at reading. And so my mom read to me for, like, a really long time. Like, I was probably, like, you know, 10. Uh, and she was, like, still reading to me. And she would always do voices for every character any dialogue right. in any of these like fantasy books she would read to me would always That's be awesome. you know in character and so and I grew up you know seeing that and going like that is the coolest thing you can ever do is like provide that kind of immersive experience for a, another person some scope and some yeah, people get uncomfortable awesome. with it because it's like improv shit it, improv is uncomfortable yeah. um yeah yeah, <laughs> uh, but that being said I think the coolest part about D&D to me is the mechanics of it the fact that it's not just like us goofing around having like, you know, an improv session. Cause I think I would be uncomfortable with that of just like, yeah. like I would never want to be in an improv group. Um, that's just not my, not my bag. Uh, but D and D is a game that has limitless possibilities with limited consequences. Um, mm. so like literally if we're playing a game and you're a player, and you're in your room right now, you know, like you tell me, what do you want to do? You have literally limitless possibilities. Oh, uh, right yeah. now I'm in my yep. room and I'm telling you, um, and now this is, this in the scope of something Dungeons and Dragons or just anything in the just world, anything in the world that you want to do in the context of like looking around your room, what can you interact with? What can you do? You can burn your house down right now. You can smash your TV, you know? Oh, okay. Um, I think I would just want to solve one of these bad Okay, boys. so you want to solve a Rubik's Cube. That's going to be an intelligence role. 
Uh, uh-huh. And I think that th- you would have some kind of modifier based on your actual intelligence. How adept are you at solving a Rubik's Cube? Then what you would do is roll a d20. What, let's say that you rolled a 20, you know? Mm-hmm. That's a critical success. So you solve that thing so fast that it absolutely, like, uh, if anybody was around, it would be like... <laughs> <laughs> that was very fast. Uh, but on the other end, if you rolled a one, that's a critical failure. That Rubik's Cube breaks apart in your hands. You know, it's like, yeah. that, that's what I'm saying is that there's limitless possibilities for, for everything, uh, but a consequence based on how you roll for that thing. So there are mechanics applied to everything and modifiers based on your character. Um, and that's why I love it so much. It's it's. Do you know why I know this is fun? Is because I had so much fun with your fake example <laughs> right now. <laughs> well, it's like I, this is what I love doing when somebody is like, "How does D and D work?" Is that it's like, you know, setting up. This is the very first time I played. I think I was twelve years old, and um, it was a on the fly made dungeon uh, by my friend's yeah. older brother, uh, and he just made a dungeon for us and set this thing up where it was like there's you know kind of a puzzle to solve and it was like what do you want to do and we're like what can we do he's like you're not getting it like what do you want to do you can do literally anything uh and that is i think what people have a hard time with it's like what are my options you know it's like yeah anything you can do whatever you want i love did you i know this is so a different world but did you are you watching dave have you seen that show Okay, did you have you the, the season two has has a scene? I don't know if I've watched season he, two, but okay, so I don't want to ruin it. But but <laughs> anybody, you know, episode two of season two of Dave, there's a scene where he's sitting down and he had like this nice moment with his girlfriend in season one, where like he was freestyling over this like kind of nice mellow beat, and she just hopped in with him, and then he brought this girl to his his house. And she's sitting down with him and he's like trying to get her to freestyle. And she's like, I don't know what you want me to say. And that was the whole scene. What they were trying to get across is like, not everybody's like going to be game. Not everybody's like going to try to play with you. Like they'll just like drop it. You I know? think, I think what I love about D and D is something that some people hate, um, which is the <laughs> idea that again, it's limitless possibilities. It's improv with mechanics. Uh, but that being said, a huge part of it, I think the greatest thing about D&D, why I consider it the best game ever made, is that it is a game that I think more than any other game in the world accesses a childlike imagination that you, in your day-to-day life, do not ever experience. You do everything based in reality, and you barely ever take time to actually go, like, I'm a goblin, and I have daggers, and there is a you know, uh, a seven foot troll in front of me and I want to throw my daggers at it, you know, or like I want to dance for it and I want to like make, I want to dance so (laughs) well that the troll falls in love with me, you know, like seriously, like to, to use that part of your brain, to use that imagination is something that scares people like to their core yeah. Because it is like, and that's why they scoff at it because they're because they're embarrassed to be embarrassed. So like, so the potential. So you you uh, play for children, right? Like, this is something. Yeah. When you when you interact with a child and they want to play with toys with you, and they're like, "You're gonna be, yeah. you know, Superman toy. I'm gonna be Batman toy, uh, and then yeah. this, I'm also gonna be Joker," and like, 
you're <laughs> you're playing with them, it's easier because that's a child to get into character yeah. and go like, you know, ah, how are you doing, Batman? Yeah. It's easier because it's a child that you're playing with. To do that with another adult, if I was like, hey, do you want to play toys with me? That wouldn't just make you be like, oh, what a weirdo. It would also be like, yeah. it's it feels upsetting because you're like, no, we're not supposed yeah. to do that. Like, we're not supposed to use our imagination it's that too way. We, we're adults <laughs> with jobs. Uh, we, we that pay, shit's over, yeah, man. We pay yeah. taxes. We can't play with toys. Um, and I think, and I would be upset with that if you were like, let's play toys yeah. together. But at the same time, when you can create a game that has these mechanics that feels more like, we're playing a board game. Yeah. But it involves getting into character and like playing with toys essentially. It becomes so liberating. And after you get done with it, you feel like you just like, I don't know, it feels like you just worked out a part of your like, you know, yeah. you just exercised a part of your brain that has has been dormant your entire adult right, life. Right. An underutilized part of your mind. Yeah. I, I I genuinely oh. feel like every almost everybody I've ever played D and D with has like come out of it being like that is that was amazing. Uh, even if the game sucked, <laughs> yeah. even if I did a bad job as a DM, they're like it felt good to act like a, yeah, a child. To, yeah, right. I know. Um, oh well, you might be a good person to pitch this to. Have you ever played the game Morels? Are you aware of this game? No. Uh, it's a card game. My buddy got me into it. I, I've, I've become addicted. It's a, it's a mushroom foraging game. The whole premise is that you and your opponent are just going for a walk together, foraging for different kinds of mushrooms, and you need pans to use them. Then whoever cooks up the mushrooms worth the most points or sells them for sticks, whatever, just wins at the end, right? And uh, it's very easy. And once you get it, there's I like it because there's a couple different ways to play. Some people, you know, try to get a lot of sticks so they can get access to the moon cards that are worth double or there's right. It's, it's obviously a lot more limited than D and D, but every single person who I've shown it to first looks at it like quizzically scoffs at it. And then when they sit down and they do give it a shot, like, Oh, okay, I'm getting the hang of this. And then they eventually let go of like, you know, the, the guilt of like, I'm an adult who's spending time forging for fake mushrooms with totally you. <laughs> that is I, I, you know like okay so bring it uh back to the board game that we made for this album um yeah so we just finished it, it just went off to press um oh congrats thank you that sounds like a lot of work <laughs> yeah it was it was really <laughs> difficult but adam yeah. vass uh plays in law dispute and runs this um company right. called uh, uh world champ games and he cool. makes these games he's also a, a fan of D D. we are uh we were on the same page a lot as it related to like how we wanted to present this board game. But one thing that we differed on was Adam loves the storytelling aspect of games of really being able to, it's very improv based where it's like, you know, you and I are really telling a story together um, and yes, anding each other. And I tend to really love the mechanics aspect of things because I think that they, mechanics actually allow you to do that in a better way. Um, right. And so we kind of, it wasn't like dissonance even, it was more just kind of like balancing each other out. And what we have now Uh is this game that is so, it's so cool. It's like, it does what I love about D and D, but it also is very different from D and D. Um, it's not like essentially the idea of the game is that there's this planet that you live on 
uh, that is dying. It has this magical resource to it that has gone away because it's become okay. uh, like a uh, uh, like a, essentially a city planet. And you, it's been like tapped for all of its magical energy, and it is dying. And so, the only thing that you can do now is uh, go to the moon. Um, there's a moon orbiting uh, this planet that is, uh, you know, the only place left to go to because, you know, the planet is just going to, like, become unlivable in the span of, uh, like, 12 months. So uh, the idea of the game is that you are defining your character, uh, and it's a collaborative game, so, um, or cooperative game, so everybody playing... Cool is all on the same team. You're all... Same yeah. team, yeah, yeah. So the idea is that you go to this moon, you're defining what the moon is. There's all these examples of, that you can pick from, mm. but you can also create your own. You can, it can be a tundra moon with, like, brontosauruses, you know, all around uh, that is, like, mostly dark all the time, uh, you know, but it's, like, this frozen tundra. Or it can be, like, That's a, a crystal planet uh, that, like, has no, you know, vegetation or anything. Or it can be a, you know, whatever, a, a necromantic forest moon. Um, <laughs> but the point is, you define that planet, you define your character, and then you have a, a troop with you, like a group. And you, the board for it is you have your planet in the middle that has a D12 on it that counts down okay. to zero. And oh, when cool. it runs out, the game is over. And while doing that, you're also in this orbiting moon, the spaces are around it. Um, and so you're rolling dice to, uh, that go around the moon, but it represents the time. And the whole time you're trying to achieve these, uh, pursuits on every corner of the board that essentially equate to your, you surviving and thriving on that moon before time runs out from your planet. So by the end of the game, when the time runs out, if you've completed all four of those pursuits, there is an ending, like a, a pre-made ending that explains, you know, oh, what cool. happens. And if you didn't, then there's a pre-made uh, ending for, you know, what happened to that. So within that, there's all of this room for improvisation and storytelling, yeah. but it's all within the – like in the scope of like if you're somebody that isn't into storytelling, there are a bunch of options for you and you don't necessarily have to embrace that like – you know, it, you can play it more like your uh, mushroom game, or you yeah. can play it like you know, uh, improvised. The indie yeah, stuff. exactly. Like some some straight up <laughs> uh, improv troupe theater <laughs> shit. Uh, I got a frozen. So I, frozen I love it. Yesterday. I think it's, I think it's fantastic. I'm very excited for it to get actually like printed and hold it in my hands. Uh, but yeah, and it's all also supposed to be like a a tie in with the record. Um, like the character that we created for the record, this, you know, it's me like with the robes and everything, but it's meant to be this idea. Like we released a, uh, a D and D background. Ooh. Connor froze. I'll be back in a moment. Hello. Oh, it's too, it's too bad. I lost you there, but, but it's okay. Cause we're roughly at the hour yeah. mark. So, it's, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to take, I'm going to take us in a new direction. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, one, I guess one question I have before we get into like, I have like a, 
I call it lightning round, but it doesn't have to be fast. I just don't know what to call it. Uh, <laughs> but I did want to dig into um, just on the songwriting side of things a mm-hmm. little bit. How do you approach? Uh, I really, you know, I like that. It's cool that you were doing a lyric writing class. I, I also really enjoy something about how you write in a lot of the songs I like is like the syntax of the lines won't always fit exactly in this like four, four expected thing. Like I notice, like you come in early sometimes and it, and it'll always be like, Ooh, this is like a little bit off from what, what I expected. I, I wonder if that's conscious or just taste or, or I don't know. So I like to write, um, I do this thing that I, I, um, recommend to other people all the time where, uh, <clears throat> Most times I will write with an instrumental, um, either one that I make or like Eric will make. Um, Mm -hmm. So it'll be an instrumental song and then it's on me to like, you know, okay, I got to write some lyrics for this and write a vocal melody. And what I like to do is separate the two entirely um, where I will write a vocal melody using a song that I really love uh, the lyrics to. Mm-hmm. And or or I use something like, you know, a Shakespeare sonnet or like a cool. uh, sometimes use like the Pledge of Allegiance um, and just using like poetry or s- like, you know, uh, uh, like Fleetwood Mac lyrics or something, you know, um, I will write a vocal melody using that because I know the lyrics will not be the problem. The lyrics are good. You know what I'm saying? I try to separate it extremely far into like, you know, okay, well, I'm writing, you know, with this Enya. I use Enya's Only Time a ton because I love the lyrics to that song. uh And so I'll do that. And then uh, separate, completely separate from that, I'll write lyrics that I am really like, I'm not thinking about the vocal melody at all. I'm just thinking about Mm -hmm. lyrics. And then I try to, once I've got both of them working in a way that I really like, I will connect them together and take out the, the lyrics, you know, only time by Enya won't be there anymore. Now I'm putting my lyrics onto it and then adjusting the syllables and editing the lyrics, editing the vocal melody so that uh, the rhythm of something changes entirely. But with that being said, I think a lot of times that ends up creating like a very rhythmically out of place yeah. thing that I actually really enjoy and I enjoy it in other people's music. Uh, so it works out well uh, for my taste. Yeah. I love it because what it, what it always does is it puts me on this feeling of like, all right, we know where to like take our first step with our right foot. Right. And then like you already left and I was like, Oh shit, the song started. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, and like, um, I think it's just a great approach. And so that's really interesting. I, I, I like how much more thoughtful it is than you just being like, yeah, I like stuff that's because, <laughs> well, it's fun. Cause, cause what, what you're doing is you're, you're like believing in a melody and then really getting to like write poetry or prose. Exactly. Like, and sometimes yeah. I write things that have no, they don't rhyme or anything. They're just like mm-hmm. kind of freehand. Um, a lot of times I try to do things that are like, uh, you know, I'll try to make like, references to things or like use you know some some Shakespeare line and try to like subvert it in some way Mm -hmm. uh and like I think in doing that or like using idioms you know I'm a big fan of like Modest Mouse and I love the way that they subvert idioms so I do that too yes 
Modest Mouse and Shaky Graves are two of the best at that. I think uh, they'll like take, oh, I don't know. I don't know. It'll be literally anything like like a lot of nursery rhyme type yeah. stuff and just totally betray it. Exactly. Awesome. I, I love that so yeah. much. Um, yeah. And I think that, I think in doing that um, and using kind of like obscure references, but making them like relate directly to this like core concept that you're trying to do is like what I usually refer to as like uh, lyrics genius fodder, um, where it's <laughs> yeah, like yeah. something that you can <laughs> dive into and really pick apart. Like it's a fun line, uh-huh. you know, like there's a line on uh, Dealer that is like, um, uh, 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 watched you drown and I not used to flow. Uh, mm. And we survived on eyes and use alone. Is kind of like mm. the the line. It's a straight up like lifted from Shakespeare. Um, An eye not used to flow is like somebody that doesn't mm. uh, cry very often. That's crying. Um, like uh, a wet eye from somebody that's eye is usually like a dry. You know, um, yeah. and then trying to subvert that with like eyes and use alone. Uh-huh. Uh, like, you know, like it, very like uh, it. Do, you don't necessarily need to like know what I'm referencing there, but if you were a, a a fan of lyrics and a fan of reference, you could dive into it and really figure out like what what's behind this. And you could again, like you could jump on the lyrics genius and be like Yeah. <laughs> we gotta get you in front of that yellow wall right there. And just <laughs> and just, just break it down even though they didn't hire you. you know? <laughs> um that's great, man. Um Okay, well that that totally satisfied my question on that front. Um, Sorry about your lightning I, this, round, me uh, rambling on it to the point of it being. A, no, it's okay. We haven't even gotten into it yet, <laughs> okay. and, I, and don't worry, everybody's. I gotta. I someday I'll come up with a new name. Um, but uh, the but <laughs> before I abandon what we were talking about, I will say one of the things I really like about you guys making the board game about a lot of the other things is. Um, Okay, people spend so long to get to a place with their band and then they curate this thing that's music and frankly, we have platforms here to make other things that we love and believe in and it's only going to make people connect with you more. So I think it's really beautiful that you've used... I mean, I I use it to like start this and feel like I have a reason to like interview anybody, you mm-hmm. know, and and anybody can, you know get to a certain place with that and be like, let's use this platform. Like, what do we all care about with it? You know, if that's, if that's making board games, let's do that. You know, so that's, that's really great. Totally. I appreciate it. I I think it only really came from, you know, what we were talking about earlier of like realizing like, okay, not going to be an arena band, (laughs) like, you know, (laughs) but we can do the things that we actually really enjoy and are, are personally interested in and connect with people on a level of like, Hey, I'm really into D and D and board games. And then you find people that are also into that and it becomes like, so do do you guys incorporate any of that stuff? And you mentioned you guys had a Patreon. Do you guys like do any campaigns with, with your fans or anything on there? No. Um, especially not now we limited everything Mm -hmm. down to like a $5 a month thing, um, for our rollout, uh, where specifically Mm -hmm. we do, um, like, uh, we we give them like access to the website early. You know, the whole thing is like a contest mm-hmm. for a guest list for life key. Um, Got it. And so we give them access to everything beforehand. We you know we tell them stuff that we don't 
you know, tweet out or anything. We'd essentially do Q and a like pretty much constantly. I was just doing one today. Um, so it's, it's way less like, uh, transactional, I guess. Um, but then uh, once we're out of the album cycle, like we were before, uh, then we get into more of the fun stuff. Eric does, you know, uh, is on Twitch and plays games. We haven't Great. done D&D only because it's like I don't – the party that I play with is uh, – I would never want to put them in front of a camera and be like, guys, come on, do this for my Patreon. Like, you know, <laughs> I feel like that would be right. unfair to even ask them to do that. Uh, yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> Um, all right, great. We covered it. Let me see if there's any other things on my notes that I've barely gotten to, which is good. Uh, oh yeah. I mean, this is, this is direct support, which is kind of focusing on some of those earlier stages and being, you know, in a food chain, so to speak. And I just wonder, was there a moment that you felt like, oh, this is kind of serious. People are really paying attention. Um, was there a moment where you felt like, uh, you know, you are, uh, you know, doing more than a garage band or whatever. Yeah. I think that, um, one of our first tours, we were playing in Kansas city at a venue called Satan's gay acid bath. That was essentially like a (laughs) shed. Um, yeah. And, uh, with no insulation and and a lot of leather. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And, uh, there was, it was packed we were playing with a bunch of other bands. We were playing with like Empire Empire. I was Lonely Estate and uh, Joie de Vie and Warren Franklin. And um, we had only released an EP and a couple splits, but we were playing a lot of songs from the Albatross. And we had been playing mm-hmm. those songs since day one of t- like playing shows and touring. And people just from like YouTube videos of us playing um, is very like, you know, a very underground thing, but people like knew the lyrics to the songs and knew when parts yeah. were happening. And it was the first show that we ever played where it was like, people were really excited about it and like singing yeah. along and screaming along. And it was so cool. Uh, and I think it, it was just the first time that it was ever like, it's not like I'm trying to convince people to please come to the show. It was like, People are coming, you're announcing that you're playing something and people are coming because they actually really want to be there, you know? Yeah, there's a moment where it flips where it's not a favor to you anymore. Exactly. It's value for the audience. And I think my whole life before that, it was truly a matter of like, <laughs> please, consu- like yeah. in high school, you know, like, guys, yeah. can you please, con- can you buy some tickets off me? I got to sell like, you know, 40 tickets or something. I was just going to ask if you did that play to pay to play evil leech off 14 year olds yeah there's like this scum of the earth piece of shit in st louis uh that used to do that to us when we were like kids and didn't know any better it's like you know selling tickets same in san diego it's disgusting yeah and you know the guys still like book shows in st louis and i'm just like yeah fuck you yeah like you know like 12 years old and you're like yeah gross gonna play a green day cover in 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 this in your in your, the room that you <laughs> that you take advantage of all of us. exactly <laughs> oh all right let's let's do it ready so yes. uh the, so the lightning round of it so can you think of the best show y'all ever played um at, uh we played in bialystok uh in poland and it mm-hmm. was wow. yeah that was the best show we've ever played so sick uh 
What about the worst show or a shitty show story? Worst show, I think we... Oh, man, there's so many... Okay, two, I'll, I'll give out two, and I'll make them quick. Uh, the first was okay. me and Eric's first band. Uh, we had such, like, you know, we loved, like, Arcade Fire and, and you know, bands with mm-hmm. a million people in them, Beirut and, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so we had, uh, we were playing at a place that no longer exists in St. Louis called the Red Sea, and we would play with a a full organ, and to get into this, like, basement, of this venue, it's this bar, you had to go down a spiral staircase. So we spent like probably an hour oh trying to get this organ down the spiral staircase. It was so heavy and ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. And we put casters on it, but the casters broke because they were so cheap. Yeah, of course. And we yep. finally got everything down there and we got on the stage and it was literally, we were playing to just our drummer's parents. Um, oh. And yeah, that was uh, humiliating and... I don't know. There's a lot of those kind of things. Yeah, Even yeah, with, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, Foxing, where we would play to, like, literally no yeah. one. Um, you know what you reminded me of is because everybody has that version of, like, yes, I have a show booked. I can yes. do the thing that I've seen on my TV or my YouTube channel before, totally. right? So, so at that point, it was, you know, we got to play this organ. And you're reminding me that I used to bring a boat to, like, switch guitars all the time Oh <laughs> like yeah. when I was in high school. I thought it was super cool to, like, watch, you know, these guys and have their guitar tech bring them guitars. Oh, yeah. But I was just picking up guitars with the same tune. <laughs> <laughs> Probably out of tune oh, at that point. Yeah, uh, honestly, yeah. I was like grabbing the one that was out of tune yeah, and putting yeah. down the one that was good. <laughs> uh, I think the oh, the horrifying. other story was um, we played a fucking awesome show. I saw videos of it and it was a great. We we killed it, but yeah, uh, somebody came to a foxing show at the Nile in Phoenix. Um, we were playing with balance and composure, and somebody came mm. to that show and brought us weed brownies, and oh, no. straight up told us like we made these. And they're really weak. Like, they're pretty much just brownies. And we're like, cool, thank you. They're like, seriously, we ate them. They, they're nothing. And we're like, that, okay, great. And I, I think I ate half of one, um, like, earlier, like, probably, you know, a couple hours before our set. Because, again, it's like a, a yeah. brownie, essentially. It's like not even, from what they were describing, uh-huh. not even drugs. It's like just yeah. a brownie. And all of us did. <laughs> the weed was just seasoned. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All of us did, and we got on stage, and it was like as we were walking up to get on stage, it fucking hit all of us. And I was doing a thing of – I don't really fuck around with, like, getting super fucked up before we play, like, ever. Uh, yeah. You know, I, mainly just because it's like I think I'll perform worse if I'm, like, super fucked up or anything. But anyway uh, – I was doing a thing of trying to remember lines as I was singing them. Um, it felt oh, insane. It was like, yeah. again, and I, and I nailed it. But like in the moment, there was, there was also a moment um, where somebody broke a string and all of us like started staring at each other, realizing that we were all very, very high. <laughs> and like uh, it was the most intense thing. And it was, I also think I like didn't talk into the microphone throughout the show. And right. also every but it's so cool because everybody like picked up on the fact that we were all so just so unexpectedly fucked up. And between the songs, it would be like Eric and Ricky playing like ambient, you know, guitar stuff Interlude. to fill yeah, in yeah, the yeah. space. So it actually became cooler than if I said a single word. 
Again, like watching the YouTube video of that show, I was like, we nailed this shit. It was great. But it's the hardest we've ever worked in our brains. Oh my God. It was a a (laughs) nightmare to do it. Yeah. That's a great one. I love that. I like I like a worst show story where you actually played well, <laughs> yeah. but it was bad for a different reason. Well, and you know that Red Sea show that I was talking about, the Oregon. I bet I sure, bet we yeah. killed that one too. It's just a matter of nobody saw it. Yep. <laughs> All right. Uh, can you think of any? So I just want like a big lesson you've learned about these topics. So can you tell me a big lesson about performing? Um. I the biggest lesson I think that I've applied as a, a front person or as a singer, um, yeah, is uh, Andy Hole from Manchester Orchestra, uh, the greatest. The greatest. He once saw me play a show and was like, "You know, you're really you're really going for it, but like you always have your back to the audience." And mm. uh, and I was like, "Yeah, I just don't like looking at people. I don't like." I get nervous when I see somebody and I see that like stare them in the eye. And so he gave me this less like this kind of advice that I've applied every day of my life. The idea is you look out into the crowd and you can do this as any member of the band. Um, you look out in the crowd and you imagine yourself in the crowd. And so mm-hmm. what you do is throughout the entire set, you imagine yourself walking around the entire perimeter of the entire show, uh, of the, the venue and if there's like a balcony you imagine yourself up on the balcony walking around exploring the entire place and being so like and when you're imagining yourself it's like that person is so excited about watching you they're so interested in it and you're just looking at them and what it really does is like as an audience member it's like you're looking at every single person in the audience uh at some point throughout every song but you're doing it in a way where you're not actually looking at any of them. You're looking at like an empty room with just you walking around it. So it does wonders for, you know, anxiety and also being able to like connect with people. Uh, so that's, that's probably my, the best advice I've ever received. And the one that I give out the most to people. Oh, you ticked off two boxes. You (laughs) gave me performing and a big lesson from another artist. Oh, there you go. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and y'all are heading out together again. Later this right. year, correct? Um, when is that? When is that run? October? Is that it right? goes October, and then it stops, and then again in November for a few days, mm. and then stops, and then again in February. Okay, great. So it's like a three-leg cool. yeah. tour. Three-leg, full-on. I love yeah. it. That's awesome. That's got to be a great way to start this whole thing again, because I know that I'm certainly scared to start doing shows, oh, but definitely. to be like, it's cool. We get to be on the shoulders of Manchester. Exactly. <laughs> it's cool. <That's>, uh, <laughs> that was, you know, we've, we've done two tours with them before this one. Mm. And, uh, they are seriously the most hospitable band to, yeah. to support. Um, they just go so far out of their way to make sure that, you know, you're not getting fucked over or like, yeah you're getting enough time for a sound check or whatever. And I think that they're also like, they're very aware of, you know, for us, like we take a long time to sound check because we have so many goddamn little knickknacks that we use. Right. Um, And so they're very aware of it and they're like, they make sure, you know, to to let us on there and and check our shit, which is awesome. That's, that's awesome. And I've only met Andy once at a bad books, like acoustic thing with him and, and I met him and Kevin and, 
And they were both so sweet and were like, oh, yeah, we listened to your EP. It was really cool. And, like, they didn't need to do that, you know? That's so but awesome. That's, that's, yeah, and I love that, that. That's the type of people both of them are, you know, really, like, yeah. just straight up down-to-earth people that are also, yeah. like, I mean, they're pretty massive. They're a pretty yeah, massive exactly. band that doesn't need to be nice to, to you know, little guys like us. I know. And they're massive. And, they, I mean, there has to be some weight to know you know, how influential you are on so many bands in, in similar genres, you know, cause it really is a trickle down to like our entire generation of people who grew up on those first couple of records. And you know, I, I, I think what's so cool about it is that they do recognize that. Um, right. I think Andy recognizes that he's an influence to so many people. He's very aware, uh, but he doesn't let that, you know, make him be an asshole about anything. Right. Um, yeah, if anything, he's like, oh, it's more pressure to be a good exactly. guy. Exactly. Yeah. Which you, yeah. Should. you should. I feel like. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. What's a big lesson about writing? Um, I think. Um, I think the biggest thing is is realizing that the mundane, the most mundane thing, can be the most important thing that you write. Um, yeah. You don't have to take on massive ideas or especially ideas that you don't actually connect with. Like, you know, I think politics are a great example where it's like, you sometimes it feels like we got to write a, a protest song. And it's like, if you don't actually yeah. <laughs> have something to say there, you don't need to do that. Uh, it's totally. just as worthwhile to write a song about eating lunch when you really want to write about that. And I think, right. You know, not forcing yourself to, um, to write about any one thing. It's, you know, uh, writing about truly the thing that is on your mind in the moment that you are sitting down to yeah. write something. Oh, I like that. That's good. Have you been, have you learned a big lesson about playing trumpet? Oh, well, I mean, I took, I, I, uh, learned trumpet and French horn as a kid um, throughout mm. grade school and high school. And, uh, I am, I'm very bad at trumpet. I write, <laughs> I, I think I write trumpet parts that are strategic and that they are simple. Um, it's like Bob Dylan playing harmonica. He's like, it's actually about the, you know, the chords underneath. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it, that's, that's exactly how I treat trumpet is that it's, you know, meant to be a flavor and a, a punctuation um, yeah. And, am, and ambience. Perhaps. Yeah. And I think for, uh, I don't know, it, it's tough because I would never give advice to people that are only trumpet players, um, because <laughs> they are the ones that should give me advice. But like, I think for anybody that plays a secondary instrument that they don't feel, at, uh, like is, they're very good at, I think it's realizing that the other instrument that you play, even if you're not good at it, can be the most important part of what you do if you utilize it for dynamics. And like, yeah. if you're able to use a trumpet the way that like, you know, when I sing, I, I do falsetta singing. I sing in kind of a baritone mm -hmm. range. I scream. I do these different yeah. kind of things. Tons of different dynamics. And, yeah. and I always try very hard to use them for dynamics to, yeah to do the, the quietest quiets and the loudest louds. Yeah. And sometimes layering octaves is another approach. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes I think yeah. a, a trumpet is just an extension of a dynamic range to be able to say, you mm -hmm. know, this like to play a trumpet part is something that your voice can't do. And I, I would apply that to any, you know, 
secondary instrument. Um, like for instance, it's like my falsetto singing is not actually like, you know, again, I kind of strategically write, um, I'm not a, a great falsetto singer. Uh, but if I utilize it in specific strategic spots, it's like, it, it's able, I'm able to, you know, use it as punctuation. Right. I love that. What about, uh, what about collaborating? It sounds like you and Eric have a very close partnership, like focally. Do you have a big lesson in collaboration? Um, yeah, I, fuck. Eric and I last night were just talking for hours about, uh, <laughs> working with each other. Um, yeah. cause we have a very, uh, sometimes we have a lot of dissonance, uh, between each, yeah. between ourselves and we get in a lot of arguments. Um, because we're extremely different people. Uh, mm. I think it's realizing it's first off being like honest in, in all ways and being able to communicate with somebody when you're collaborating. Yeah. But more than that, recognizing between each other, what complementary skills you have. Uh, and yeah. then, and being really honest about it. Like if I'm able to say, you know, like, you know, Eric is so much better than me at uh, production and at engineering and Eric's able to say Connor is so much better than me at writing lyrics, then we can do something where we're really able to trust each other in those departments. Um, and that yeah. goes for everything, you know, songwriting and guitar, like writing guitar stuff or whatever, being yeah. able to then trust that person when they say, I think this is the thing that we should do here. Like trusting yeah. that person but also that person being open to what you're saying because that's that's the actual collaboration is like, you know, I'm better at writing lyrics than you. But at the same time, when I take advice from Eric on lyrics, they become something better than he or I could ever have written, you know? On their own, yeah, yeah. Knowing when to take the lead and also when to give yeah. advice I think is – such a it's such a hard line it's so it's so case by case that but but that's a that's a great one i think that's something you only really learn in in years and years of a relationship with and somebody. also just to put a, a like a fine point on that i think that yeah. drummers i think are uh sometimes the hardest people to work with um yeah and it's only because like john for instance who plays drums in foxing is a seriously just like incredible drummer who knows so yeah. much about not just drums, but about rhythm and, and time signature and everything. Mm -hmm. Things that you've never, you know, that I've never, I don't even know we what they put, mean. Yeah. yeah but yeah. at the same time, uh, John's experience mixed with my inexperience and just ear sometimes create things that he could never make on his own. The same right. way that his experience creates something that I could never achieve on my own. So I think like right. being able to be extremely honest about that. And sometimes it's even as simple as just going like, Hey, I have no clue what I'm talking about, but here's something that I'm going to throw out at you. You know, like it's so hard cause, cause the feel matters and you go like, well, this just feels better. And somebody else goes, but that's like musically wrong. And you're like, that's okay. Yes. Maybe that's okay. You know? I, it's the like, classic, some kind of monster thing, <laughs> you know, like yeah. it just feels uh -huh. fucking stock. You know, like that. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm so happy it's on Netflix because I feel like a lot more people are going to watch I it. Have, I like rented it recently. I bought it and, uh, because it wasn't streaming yeah. anywhere because I watch oh, it probably once every couple months. Uh, I I, it's so it's so good and it's it could be Spinal Tap too. 
But if you're in a band, it also is exactly your life. It is. You and know? It's, I mean, it's also like the most embarrassing fucking thing in the world to watch. Like you're, <laughs> yeah, you're watching. Exactly. It's like, I know. I, oh, my God, this is so embarrassing gonna, for Metallica. Yep. But also like yeah. <laughs> I, I think that there's a, it's there's truly like the epitome of like the most chaotic, toxic personalities yeah. mixed together. Yeah. Um, and I think when you watch something like that, a lot of times it makes me both feel better about myself, but also like I come away with it going <laughs> like, I want to act better. I want to be better, better to the people I work with uh, and trust yeah. them more and listen to them and like be honest. I think the funniest with them. part is when they, I think the funniest part is when they bring in that therapist and he gets so comfortable with it. Oh my god! And you're like, wow, you just brought in like the polar opposite other toxic yeah. personality. That's my dude, Phil Towel. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. I can't believe his last name is actually Towel. 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 I know. Do you think it's T- it's T O W L E? Yeah. Maybe it's spelt like a it's towel. Absurd. Towel. <laughs> oh wow! It's insane. He is. Wow. <laughs> he is my. I, I, I'm gonna stop myself from talking about it more because I. Well, it's okay. I was gonna. <laughs> the last question is is uh, is if you have a recommendation, it's usually like music or. Maybe another podcast, uh, but maybe it's some I think kind, you need to watch some kind a, of monster if you're listening to this and never have watched it. It's Or, or, or Joe Paratox, you to sleep. Exact, yes, definitely. Those two things. Mm-hmm. Um, All right. Yeah. And then, you know, also, I guess, play d and I love it, man. Well, thanks for being on the show. I appreciate this. This has been fantastic. And I will say selfishly on my end, not only am I a fan, but this has been like a hugely helpful episode for, <laughs> for you, like... Like giving me a new perspective on stuff, so I I, I appreciate it, man. Thank hey, you. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm going to. We're we're at the studio right now, so I uh, I'm yeah. gonna go ahead and start working on some overdubs. Holy buckets, man! That's a long, long day. day. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for being on, man. I appreciate. Hey, it. thank you for having me. All right. Have a great rest of your day. That was me and Connor Murphy from Foxing. What an episode, what a record. Uh, go go, give it a spin. Do all the stuff I said at the beginning. Banzoogle, direct support pod on Instagram. Five-star rating and review wherever you listen. You listen on Apple or Spotify, I just know it. <laughs> all right, yo, talk to you later, bye. Today's podcast is brought to you by our friends at Banzoogle. Built by musicians for musicians, Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. Direct support podcast listeners can go to Banzoogle.com to try it for free for 30 days and can use the promo code Direct Support, all one word, to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. That's Banzoogle.com, promo code Direct Support.